This podcast provides information to help esports professionals identify and approach legal problems. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. Legal information is not the same as legal advice, which is an application of law to a party's specific set of circumstances. You should not and are not authorized to use this podcast as a source of legal advice. And the information in this podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between the Law of Esports podcast, any of the lawyers or affiliates of the podcast, and any consumer of this podcast. Welcome to the Law of Esports podcast, the number one podcast that discusses legal issues as they apply to the world of esports. My name is Jake Hicks, and I'm an attorney that represents teams, leagues, and organizations. And my name is Nefi Lopez, and I'm an attorney that represents personality, streamers, and players. And today we are discussing really the the history and the origination and why a certain organization is important in esports, and that is ESIC, the Esports Integrity Commission. And we decided to do this episode because after our episode on uh, cheating, after our episode on gambling, we discussed ESIC a lot. And I think some people out there in the legal world and out there in the esports world don't really know what ESIC is, particularly in the United States. And they also don't know why it's important. And we're going to discuss some of those issues today. So the reason why we want to know what ESIC is, ESIC is the Esports Integrity Commission. It is a governing body, but really we want to know what it does because it comes up a lot when discussing rules, when discussing punishments, when discussing uh, appeals, bans. And so uh, whenever you're looking at international esports in particular, you're going to hear the term ESIC. Whenever you're discussing potential regulations in the United States for esports, you're going to hear the term ESIC. And we've already discussed it a bunch in our last two episodes. And so that's why we think it's important to know what it is yeah. and what it does and whether we're going to have a United States counterpart or whether ESIC will come over to the United States. Um, but what is ESIC? All right. So we're going to talk about ESIC now, but I'm going to take a little bit of a caveat. For those of you that are watching us a video, I'm sure last episode that you saw on YouTube, the screen was black. Just wanted to touch on that a little bit because I'm sure you're probably wondering. So whenever we recorded the last video, I made a mistake. I thought that the video was recording. Uh, we don't we don't cut and, and, and fix and edit our audio. We go one whole episode. And, and if we make mistakes during the episode, they're in the video. You're going to see them. They're in the audio. You're going to hear them. And um, we made a mistake. And by we, I mean I, and didn't hit record. So... For those of you that are watching on YouTube right now or on any other uh, video streaming platform, I apologize for not giving you the opportunity to see our beautiful faces. Uh, I, I have accepted Nephi's apology. You guys should as well. <laughs> yeah, but um, just in case you're wondering, wanted to throw that out there. Now let's get into it. What is ESIC? Okay, as you said, it's eSports. This is one of those things that we're talking about. We don't cut the the esports integrity commission. So this was an organization that was created back in 2016 to take responsibility for the disruption and prevention, investigation, and prosecution of all forms of cheating in esports, including but not limited to match manipulation, 
doping, things of that nature that make that give teams, organizations, players an unfair advantage over other organizations. And so it's important to understand that ESIC is not uh, something that uh, people are required to be a part of. Okay, it's extremely important to understand that the way that ESIC works and functions and it's funded is through memberships. Large organizations, tournament uh, planners, tur- people that host tournaments, uh, governing bodies, uh, international federations, they elect to be a member of ESIC and they elect to be governed under the rules of ESIC, right? It's very much like um, sort of a governing body that investigates and issues punishments based on violations uh, of its rules or its or its governing body of rules. And so organizations around the, the, the world, really, um, including the United States, including, you know, England and a bunch of other countries, choose to be a member and therefore choose to be governed by this organization. Yeah, so, if you think about it in a way, it's almost like the UFC with USADA, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. The UFC doesn't really need to submit drug testing to USADA. They don't have to have USADA come in and do their anti-doping stuff. They choose to. Um, and that is a governing body that determines doping regulations and testing. And the UFC goes to them and they do a lot of testing with them. And there's certainly been some drama around USADA yeah. in terms of the spe- uh, specificity of their testing. But uh, it's, it's kind of like that where tournament organizers voluntarily become a part of ESIC, which is a nonprofit. So right. they don't host their own tournaments. Right. Um, it's just a governing body to provide rules to exactly. tournaments. Exactly. The, the sole purpose of the organization is to basically, and this is the mission statement that you'll find if you go to the ESIC website, uh, is, to be, is to be the recognized guardian of the integrity of esports and to take responsibility for disruption, prevention, investigation, and prosecution of all forms of cheating, including but not limited to match manipulation and then doping is one that we keep going back to and so um it's it's important to understand again as i said you know this organization would be nothing if it wasn't for the members of it that elect to be a part of it and elect to be governed by it okay and and you know we're, we're going to talk about a little bit more but we don't really have something like that here in the united states it's something that's kind of unique to if you follow cs uh, go if you follow league of legends if you follow certain types of games that, that fall under certain uh, um, uh, sports or, or I should say esports um, org- organizations like the ESL. Um, and, and we're going to talk about the others more. Um, you've probably heard of ESIC, but for those of us that, you know, tend to follow and are new to the esports world, you probably haven't dealt with them because they, they don't really um, monitor like the war zone tournaments that have been going on recently. They don't monitor the Fortnite tournaments. They don't, mon- they don't monitor a lot of the newer ones like Valorant, those new games that are becoming popular and that are hot right now. Um, but, you know, they, they, they may get involved later down the road and, and we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit more. But with that being said, ESIC exists to unite the industry under the shared values and visions essential to fight against corruption in any form, okay. As as this esports, um, you know, as as the market continues to blow up, it's important to have an organization like ESIC govern and take control and and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, and be able to enforce uh, any rule breaking or anything that's going on. Uh, you know, again, these values form the basis of the ESIC program of integrity measures. Each commission member, because ESIC is 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 
an organization that is ruled by its members has bought into these core principles so that while many members may be in competition with each other uh, commercially or literally, they are as one when it comes to protecting esports and the sport of esports. Each member has signed their commitment to these principles and ESIC will be diligent in making their regulatory ambitions for the sport a reality through the codes and procedures set out in its program. Yeah, and that's one of the things we talked about before in the cheating episode is one of the big risks you have in cheating in esports because esports is so diverse and so interactive and games for the most part certainly have a lifespan. Uh, the worst thing that can happen to your esport would be for it to become unpopular. And so if your esport appears untrustworthy, if it seems like, you know, you just can't watch it without someone cheating or hacking or fixing or, or um, you know, sponsors don't want to come in and sponsor your players because they're always fighting with officials or fighting with coaches or whatever. Uh, the worst thing that can happen is for your esports just become unpopular. And this is one of the safeguards that leagues, terminal, tournament organizers, and other stakeholders in the sport can take to become a member of ESIC to hopefully protect against some of the risks that you have in creating an untrustworthy environment. Right. And so... You know, it's it, it comes down at the end of the day to the the tournament organizers to the even as low as as the individual team owners and, and, the, and the members of the board that own a team to essentially agree. Right. And this is how that how ESIC works so well. These people have come together and said, you know what? This is the Wild West right now. You know, we have a ton of different individual. Every single tournament, I mean, whenever tournaments hosted by Twitch, whenever a tournament is hosted by, you know, uh, uh, the Call of Duty League, there's different set of rules, different set of considerations, different set of just guidelines that you have to follow. It's not uniform and it makes it extremely difficult to know, okay, what is going to happen if you do this in this tournament that's hosted by this organization or what's going to happen if I do this hosted by this other organization. There really is no uniform code, but an organization like ESIC does in fact provide that uniformity, provide that that reliability, right? It's shown and as we discussed in the last couple of episodes, I mean, they're not just there, you know, to be there. I mean, these guys will, will crack the whip. I mean, we we discussed the 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 bans, the fines. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's very clear. You can go to their website and look at their guidelines and you will know what you are allowed to do. And what you're not allowed to do. And I mean, to, to to bring it and to give it more weight, like we discussed last episode, governing bodies like the FBI work alongside an organization like ESIC, which just gives it that much authenticity. It, it, it shows that they are, in fact, a respectable organization and uh, are willing to, to really put in the work and effort to work with governing bodies in order to enforce its rules. Because, again, whenever we're talking about gambling, whenever we're talking about money, it's going to play a role. Right. Right. And ESIC is not um, it's not perfect by any means. It's young. So this it just formed in 2016 mm-hmm. um, to have a governing body. Before that, there wasn't any overarching rule set. You can maybe have a rule set for a certain game, maybe, but you wouldn't have any sort of framework right. for the rules across leagues or across games for common infractions, you know? Um, So that's, it it helps provide a framework and, you know, they had to create some principles they kind of base their rules on. Yeah. Um, But really all those principles lend toward is a, 
a framework for punishment and more importantly for other issues that we experience in the legal world, such as being able to defend yourself against certain allegations. Right, right, right. And and so, you know, in order for us to really be able to understand how an organization like this works, you have to kind of look at the what the principles behind it, right? And and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're like, well, why do I care about ESIC? Why why should I, you know, why are we listening to this? Why are you guys talking about ESIC? And so it's important to understand that in order for uh, something like the esports world, in order for it to work, especially in the United States, there has to be an even set of ground rules that everybody has to follow. And so ESIC has some pretty good principles that I think we're going to talk about that I think should be implemented across the board. They did. And before we run down this list of ESIC principles, it's important to note that these really are more of ESIC's goals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they have a rule for each of these principles. Right. But these are the goals they try to set out. And I know you're going to start saying them in a second. Uh, <laughs> these are goals that are obvious. And they really should run across esports. But what are these principles? Yeah. And, and, and to kind of piggyback off what you just said. These are their ideals, right? This is what they strive to achieve, and 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 this is the, basically the purpose behind um, their organization. All right, what's right? the what's the first? Yeah, so one? the first one, ESIC believes in a strong and vibrant global sport in which all players, professional, amateur, and all industry stakeholders can build a viable and successful career and industry in a safe, competitive, and rewarding environment. Right. right. So that leads to our our first principle, because um, there are six, and the first one is the principle of integrity. And respect. And what they mean by that is integrity is, first of all, if fighting against cheating, uh, issues that make your esport untrustworthy, and also respect for between players and between the officials and the codes, rules, and regulations. And so that means trying not to flaunt the rules in, in an improper way. Also, respecting the officials, not creating a harassing environment for esports officials or esports coaches or between players. Right. The so that was the first of the six. The right. second one of the six is 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 what's called the fair process, right? We were talking about earlier how prior to ESIC and even now in, in other tournaments, um, the for the same action that happens in one tournament versus another tournament or another league has varying levels of severity or consequences, right? We talked we were talking before we started the podcast a little bit about how uh, I think it was Valve back in what is it, two thousand fourteen where hand, we're dishing out Lifetime bans, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, but but it, it's sort of an, a very unorganized way of dishing out um, punishments, which makes it very hard in order to a team to really be able to assess, you know, uh, if, if we do this, this is going to happen. Obviously, they shouldn't do that. But, you know, in order to have a functioning system like that, like the NFL, if you're caught, you know, with with uh, certain substances in your body, you know that you're going to probably face a fine and face suspension and they're going to do their own investigation, stuff like that. Um, it's important to have a fair process um, in order to be able to dish out the proper uh, punishment. So ESIC is committed to principles of natural justice and fair process and will ensure that any procedure adopted to implement codes, rules, and regulations is balanced, proportionate, and fair to all parties. To all parties, like, <laughs> like, like what I just said. Um, you know, a lifetime ban for, you know, match fixing is, is some people may consider that a fair uh, punishment, but others won't. And so, and, and they want to make sure that if they're going to be dishing out the punishment, that the investigation process itself is fair 
and is proper and they're not just giving it out without doing their due diligence. And it creates a strong um, presumption that people know what's going on and that a strong presumption of fairness within the esport as a whole. And so the next principle is the implementation, education, and enforcement of standardized codes. And that's really important because you do need clarity and fairness in your rules. So it is uh, an unfortunate circumstance where you have one league giving out different punishments than another league for the same infraction, or you have one league giving out different punishments for the same infraction, but in different seasons. And that can create a problem because people don't know where the line is and what they can do and what they can't do, right? And so if you have a standardized set of rules, first of all, it helps everyone to follow the rules easier. But also it allows you, it allows the expectation that if you, you can calculate the risk better. So if you're going to take this step and flirt with the line on this rule, you know what the punishment is going to be. And so you don't want the situation where someone breaks a rule and they hardly get punished and someone breaks a rule and they are banned for five years. Right. <laughs> um, and so the standardized rules and the implementation of those rules is another thing that that ESIC does that was really important at the time they were created in 2016. And and on top of that, it's it's they also value and and they and and they you you know they talk about it a lot is they value the education of these rules, which is extremely important. That ESIC ensures that that all members are aware of the rules. They educate themselves and the members of the members, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about who those members are to educate what these rules are, right? And so. Uh, Following that, another important aspect of it that makes E6 successful, makes it work, is a recognition of sanctions. Okay, what that means is that the E6 dishes out a punishment, the members, right, have to give it weight, right? If E6 says, hey, pay us $10,000 fine for, for match fixing, and the actual member, right, whatever whatever the team is, blows them off and is like, ah, I'm not going to pay you, No, and no other member is following the same rule, then what is the purpose, right? People... If you are going to become a member of a governing body, you have to abide by not just the rules, but also the punishments, right? ESIC members are committed to recognizing and enforcing the sanctions imposed on any person where ESIC or another member of ESIC has imposed such sanctions using the standard ESIC code, policy rule, regulation, right? In order for it to work, the members themselves have to agree and be bound by not just the rules, but the sanctions alike. And that's what makes it work. Yep. Uh, and then... The next principle they try to abide by is the sharing of information, where <clears throat> ESIC members agree that the sharing of intelligence and information will enhance the fight against cheating and corruption, and um, they they want to use the sharing of information to support ESIC's intelligence gathering and investigatory function, and we just talked about this in Literally. episode three. Yeah. So there, there's been some new allegations of match fixing in CSGO as of April 5th. And uh, or maybe just before that, but we learned of it on April 5th. Um, and there's an FBI sports betting investigative unit that is investigating the U.S. side of potential CSGO match fixing as it relates to outside sports betting syndicates. ESIC is assisting in that investigation through the sharing of their information from their investigations into CSGO match fixing in their recent history, particularly as I'm guessing it relates to the teams that these new allegations are against. Right. 
And so that is a, a performative function of this principle, right. sharing of information. They're going to work with the FBI. They're going to work with other government body investigatory agencies. Uh, and that's one thing that ESIC has stated that they'll do. So the fact that they got involved with the FBI shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. Right. And <laughs> and, and on top of that, like like agreeing to, to abiding by the punishment as members of ESIC, you have to agree or, or you do agree that you're also willing to share information, right? If your team or your organization is found to be in violation of the rules and E6 says, hey man, turn over all your computers so we inspect it to see what software is in it. As a member of the organization, the only way that E6 works is if you as an organization agree and say, okay, here are computers, right? Because if you don't allow them to do their investigation, they can't come to a conclusion and can't come to a decision. Right now, if you have an organization like the FBI being involved, there's legal uh, uh, requirements, right? Where if the FBI subpoenas your computers, you're going to have to turn it over legally. But it's it's it, it comes down all the way down to each individual player. As a member, you have to agree to share information. Now, the next one, and it's extremely important, and us as attorneys really understand is confidentiality, right? ESIC members are committed to the highest standards of conf- uh, confidentiality in dealing with and communicating about integrity issues especially where individuals are named and where, uns- and where unsubstantiated allegations can cause great damage. Uh, this is, again, we've, we've sort of kind of all been, all the episodes we've had in the past have built up to this where we talk about, when we talked about the cheating episode about uh, claiming people or cheating, you normally want to hold off on making allegations until they've been investigated because ESIC, again, wants to protect not just the, in- the integrity of its own name, but also its members. And so consequently, ESIC and its members will only make public statements regarding integrity issues in accordance with the ESIC codes, rules, and regulations, and will use their best endeavors to protect the confidentiality of all parties to allegations and investigations, unless and until such party has been found guilty of an offense under an ESIC code, policy, rule, or regulation. And this is one of the ones that I think is extremely important. We talked about it, and we talked about it for a reason. It's important to understand that a lot of these organizations the esport itself and the games that are being played um, sort of ha- have a very uh, fine line um, that can that can easily be blurred if everybody's alleging that somebody's cheating, if everybody's always alleging that an organization or a particular group is corrupt. It can really inhibit the, not just the reputation but the integrity of the organizations, and which is why conf- confidentiality is important. Yeah, and it could even interrupt the integrity of players, which is why organizations should be. Yeah, you know, aware of this is an ESIC rule and it should be a rule kind of across the board. Um, it's hard whenever you're not really an, an esports player. And let's say you're just a streamer, right? Uh, I guess three or four weeks ago, Swag, an esports personality, part of the FaZe organization, FaZe. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a light on the front of his scuff controller that a lot of scuff controllers have. And there was a YouTuber who, a small, small-ish mm-hmm. YouTuber, certainly I mean, not the size of Swag's or someone else, um, Big enough to where everybody knew about it. Well, yeah, because yeah, it became a dramatic issue. But there was a YouTuber who made a video just about the light on Swag's controller and said he was cheating and said these Warzone tournament wins were invalid um, and made really a big issue out of it. And then later allegedly retracted the statement. And now Swag is considering legal action against yeah. the guy. Yeah. Because now he's kind of marked as a cheater for a light on his scuff that everyone has. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I think the confidentiality is so important because now, not really in esports, but really 
you know, in, in tournaments that are just played kind of for fun, like the war zone tournaments mm-hmm. and things, the cheating allegations come first <laughs> and they're very public. And then the investigation and any exoneration is very silent, right? which can really be a bummer for certain streamers that are trying to rise up. Yeah. It can be a serious problem if you're an esports player mm-hmm. and this is your career. Um, but now, you know, everyone wants to do a task manager search or on stream or have you put on a monitor camera or any of these things. And I think that's why a confidential investigation is a lot better. Even when we were looking, we were doing research for the CSGO match fix and allegations. It's hard to find anything public because that's a confidential investigation. And unless you're uh, an investigator or one of the attorneys who is representing the parties being investigated, it's helpful for everyone if the contents of that investigation stay under wraps until there's either some sort of exoneration or conclusion that there's no charges or there's charges brought and they're part of the public record. Right, right. Because the, the match fixing is, is, is not just a thing that happened once and they announced it. It's, it's according to, from the sources that we've read, it's an ongoing investigation, meaning it's happened in the past. We haven't heard about it because, again, it's such an important uh, 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 sort of fundamental element of ESIC that they want to keep the investigation under wrap because they don't want to be causing any damage to somebody's integrity if there is no, if it turns out that it was all false. Right. And so let's talk about why ESIC can be helpful and some examples of how they've been helpful in the past. Right. And this is one of the reasons why we always talk about ESIC. They're always involved in these investigations. And they're kind of important because they provide that framework for punishments and things like that. So um, let's talk about that, that uh, I buy power. Let's talk about I buy power. So in 2014, there was a, a big um, CSGO tournament. It was the CEVO professional season five in that tournament. I buy power was heavily favored, the I buy power team, mm-hmm. heavily favored to win a match um against what was it, dot esports? And yeah. Um or no dot esports was a publication. But um anyway, I buy power was was heavily favored to win the match and they lost by a lot. I mean resoundingly by a lot. And there were some weird deaths and there were some weird tactics being used in the game. Yeah. And so then there was some investigation by some publications to find out how that could have happened. Right. And it turns out they found some text messages. Some guys had actually exchanged money and they put a bet on, you know, um, I buy power to lose. Right. And turns out I buy power was engaged in match fixing. Right. Right. Which, you know, isn't crazy, especially for the time in 2014 where money, there wasn't a lot of money being thrown around to players in esports. There was right. some, but it wasn't like these guys, it wasn't like nowadays where you see, you know, tens getting a $10 million buyout on his contract. Right, right, right. right. Uh, it was, you know, you maybe you'll get $20,000, maybe $50,000 for the year, unless you have some crazy sponsors. And so, in that situation, remember, ESIC wasn't created until 2016. So in 2014, the publisher, Valve, stepped in and said, I buy power. All guys that receive money, lifetime ban. Lifetime ban from CSGO. You can't play. You can't coach. You can't make any money from this esport legally 
anymore at all. You are banned. No appeals. No appeals. Yeah. So let's say one guy, let's say his card was used or his PayPal was used and he didn't know about it. No appeals. He's done. Or let's say you were, you know, coerced into being part of the scheme. No appeals. You had a lifetime ban. You couldn't yeah. appeal. Maybe get a five-year ban. Maybe a one-year ban. Maybe you're exonerated entirely. Yeah. No appeals. And I'm I'm sure there was some type of uh, cursory investigation that was done, but what it, it wasn't really one that was probably in depth enough to justify a lifetime ban. Right. Match fixing is something that inherently happens um, in esports. Uh, I, I wish it wasn't, but you know, like like Jake said, it's it's you know a lot of these players aren't making a ton of money, and and especially back in 2014, I mean, it's esports is nothing like it is now, right? Now it's it's a million potentially billion dollar market. Um, it wasn't that back then, and and if if a team is heavily, uh, the odds are heavily in their favor, then that means that that the payment for losing is just it multiplies. I mean, by the tens, twenties, thirties, and so it it, it seemed like a, a uh, it obviously made sense to them financially, but you know, whenever you have a publisher valve that is not an organizer, it's not somebody that that really has the the means or the time to. Well, they can if they want to, because valve is massive. But at the time, they they didn't to be issuing out lifetime bans, you know, with no appeals. It's just it's, it's nuts. It's brutal, and it if you're looking at a career, it just absolutely destroys it. Right. And it's crazy that you can't really go back now. In 2017, there were a few players who had their bans reduced after a multi-year process, Mm -hmm. um, after I'm sure paying, you know, um, either agents or consultants or lawyers a good amount of money trying to get back into good graces with certain organizations. But to get a lifetime ban is pretty brutal, especially with no appeals process. And if you compare that, so that was match fixing for one game in a tournament and the, the other team was called Netcode guides. I, some, God, some of these CSGO teams. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and maybe they're a big team now. I, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, but, um, you know, if you, if you compare that to January, uh, 2021, where ESIC is now involved in CSGO heavily across the board, Right. Uh, there were 35 players in Australia mm-hmm. who had allegations of match fixing laid out against them. Which is what we talked about last episode. Yeah. So we mentioned this last episode. And in that situation, there was an investigation by ESIC, right? They went through, found out who was engaging in match fixing or betting on their own matches, issues like that. And 35 players received bans ranging from one to five years. And what's more important is that they had the opportunity to appeal those bans. So they could go in and say, look, you know, I, I wasn't match fixing, but I did have my friend put a PayPal bet on my own match, which is still against the rules, but the punishment is much different. And what's more helpful is that now Isik has a guideline on match fixing and gambling where they tell you what the punishment's going to be based on what you're found to have done. Right. And so for instance, the ESIC framework on punishments for gambling, if you're betting on matches and you're a part of the, the, the tournament mm-hmm. or you're part of the team, 12 month ban. If you bet on your own games, 24 month ban. If you bet 
over 10 matches that are against the rules, they call that aggravated betting. betting. Mm-hmm. 36-month ban. If you're betting against a team, whether that's your own team or, or another team, uh, or no, if you're betting against other teams, but you're a part of the organization, that's a 48-month ban. And then if you're betting against your own team, which is probably the biggest reason for match fixing, mm-hmm. right? you're betting on your own team to lose, and then you can help cause your team to lose. They call that aggravated betting against your own team. And that is a 60-month 60, 60 60 ban. ban. Um, and so, you know, that's the five years. Right. Uh, and people have certainly gotten the five-year ban. But compare that to pre-ESIC, guys who were who would now get a 12-month ban were getting lifetime bans. Lifetime bans. And yeah. couldn't appeal. Yeah. Guys who were getting a five-year ban were getting lifetime bans and yeah. couldn't appeal. Yeah. And let's say you were there was an allegation that you bet against your own team, but it turns out you didn't, or it was a, you know, maybe an innocent mistake. You had some defense. You can now put that in front of the esports integrity commission and maybe get your ban reduced. Yeah. And that's a huge help. Certainly it's a better principle that, that fair justice or natural justice where someone throws an allegation at you and you have the ability to defend yourself. But I think it creates a better framework overall because you now have kind of a, an, in, uh, an interested party in maintaining esports integrity. And I think that's better than just a publisher right. handing out bans to whoever they see fit. Yeah. yeah. And before we talk about the publishers, I think it's also, you know, it's it's the pe- people sort of underrate the appeals process. Right. Yeah. We, we, we keep we keep talking about you know, match fixing because believe it or not, match fixing is something that's so easy to do and easy to get away with, right? Because as, as we've discussed in the past, esports is a skill-based game, right? You're you're bound to win some, you're bound to lose some, no matter how good you are or how bad you are. It's a skill-based game, okay? It's not like gambling, like counting cards whenever you're playing blackjack. You can have a bad game, right? You can be on fire and then just when it comes to the finals, just have a bad game and lose right at the same time you could be on fire and when it comes to last to the last game if you bet against your own team it's very easy to make it look like you were having a bad game and so it's it's something that's 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 difficult to prove which is again why along with the bans and the punishment it's important to have an appeals process in case you literally just had a bad game but there's there's an abundance of uh, of of what it looks like to seem like you're cheating and you're and you're match fixing. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know there's always been situations like in the CDL and in Call of Duty where someone's you know 0 and 8 and search and destroy and then comes back and clutches the last couple rounds, and that can happen, right? Yeah. But um, but it's rare to see a talented player drop. I mean, drop all the rounds. Yeah. yeah. But it happens. And it happens. And, <laughs> it can and, happen. and it happens without any propriety, meaning somebody could literally just have bad games. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's kind of crazy to, 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 to think about it, but it's it's a real issue. It's one that, that is getting addressed. And I'm sure as, as you know, the world the, the world sort of, of esports gets more widespread, we're, we're probably going to end up inherently see it more and more often. And the other thing about gambling and match fixing is I know we talk about it a lot because this is focused on legal issues in esports, but it's not like it's it's super prevalent in esports. It is a small minority 
of some of these allegations of wrongdoing. And esports generally is awesome. I think it's fair. I think everyone plays straight up. Yeah. Uh, and Ian Smith even said that. He said, you know, we don't want the Esports Integrity Commission to make it seem like there's rampant wrongdoing right, in esports. Right, right. We don't want to make it seem like you can't trust any esports anymore and we need this commission to come in and do something. Really, he said, uh, he had a podcast with Richard Lewis a few years ago and he said at that time, uh, they've been tracking match fixing since 2016 that about 1% of all their professional matches were, he, as he would say, fixed. Right. And of those, he said about 98% were due to some outside influence, maybe gambling, and about 2% were kind of the esports brotherhood. You, you help me now. Helping each other, yeah. I'll help you later. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours back. But again, that's maybe 1% of all matches played. And when you think about global esports, you think about League of Legends, CSGO, Dota, Valorant, Call of Duty, uh, I mean, Gears of War. 1% it can be a lot in in isolation but that's very few esports matches that you'll ever watch. Right. Right? And so the Esports Integrity Commission is just there to provide the sense of integrity for the entire esport because you right. don't want one incident of match fixing to go uninvestigated and become rampant for that team and then people have doubt in your esport. Right. Right. But really it's not a widespread problem. But one of the reasons why it's not widespread, it's because it is <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's because yeah. there's some regulatory bodies that exist, particularly if the league is massive and doesn't want to do it themselves. Right. Uh, that's one of the ways that you can keep issues from spreading. Yeah. And you're sort of outsourcing this very important policing role, mm-hmm. right? The ESIC, and I think their goal, if I was to give an analogy, is like a fire extinguisher, right? It's one of those things where um, you hope you never have to use it. But if it ever comes down to situation, you'll be glad that you do. Yeah. And so ESIC isn't there to always constantly be intervening, right? You've ever heard to let the players play. Um, their goal isn't to intervene. It's it's to be there and for members to know that they are there. So that way, if it comes down to it, there are some repercussions to the to their actions. Yeah, and I think I think one of the other issues. Um, so obviously, ESIC isn't worried about integrity, and that can come with corruption in a variety of ways. They've also tried to approach doping. Mm-hmm. In certain ways, and and doping in esports is much different than doping in traditional sports. Yeah, I think people will, should think of it as more like maybe doping in chess, right? And what would doping look like in chess? Um, now, if you've seen the Queen's Gambit, Queen's Gambit, you know Everybody that <laughs> you know that. Uh, so, in the Queen's Gambit, the show on Netflix, um, the main character—I forgot what her name was—but uh, Anya Taylor Joy was the actress, and she crushed it, by the way. Yeah. But, um, but the like the main character lady was popping tranquilizers and stuff, horse tranquilizers. Yeah. yeah, and to help her relax and win matches. Um, and not that people would pop tranquilizers, but in esports, you know, it, you're, it's going to be rare for you to see like cocaine in someone's mm-hmm. system probably, or definitely steroids. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a face sensor gets a little bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an issue. But, uh, but you're not going to see that. I think really um, the one issue they've addressed or tried to address is the use of amphetamines and ADHD medication, Adderall, Vyvanse. To help focus. Yeah. So the focus doping is kind of an issue, but even then, it's you really know. hard to monitor it because 
let's be honest, a lot of the gamers out there already have a lot of these uh, focus issues, which yeah. is why they're so good at video games. But inherently, because it is a skill-based sport, right, it, there's you, you have to be focused, you have to be able to make, you have to snap, uh, your reflexes have to be there, and there are absolutely illicit drugs out there to help address those that are not just harmful to your body, but also will give you an unfair advantage. Yeah. And I think it's hard for prescription drugs in particular because you can have uh, authorized use. Right? right. And I know in the international Olympic committee, when you look at the appeals process, authorized use is always one of the first defenses you have to doping, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, whether it's Sudafed, um, whether it's Adderall, whatever the case is, there's always yeah. some sort of projected authorized use out there. Um, bronchodilators to help you breathe better. Those have always been big in front of the IOC. And so um, and that's a similar governing body. And I guess ESIC wants to maybe do some testing, but it's a hard process to do. Yeah. And so they may do some testing in the future. Uh, I think one of the Ian Smith had talked about it in another podcast where he said they're looking at maybe doing some testing. I think the CDL has talked about testing for Adderall yeah. and stuff try, yeah. for the sole purpose of trying to protect their players. Yeah, and I from think overdoing it's, it, but I also think, and, and if I had a theory, right, this is this is all I'm assuming. It's sort of a preemptive attempt to address um, the capabilities, right? As more money is is injected into this particular field, I'm sure there's you know like people with like G Fuel, right? G Fuel will give you energy and it'll help you focus, and you know there there's there is bound to be organizations out there that are going to create very drugs with very specific purpose of enhancing certain abilities to make you a better player. Obviously we have, we things that we've addressed already, these amphetamines like Adderall, stuff like that. But you know, in the future, if it comes to it, that there's, you know, some type of, of generally approved for public use drug that, you know, um, allows you to play for 30 hours straight without you losing that edge. Um, you know, it's obviously an unfair advantage and it shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to use it unless it's medically necessary, which is one of those things that we talked about. Yeah. And right now, ESIC doesn't really have a banned substance list that right. I'm aware of. It's just they will be testing for illegal substances. And one of those would be taking pharmaceutical drugs off label right, um, or without a prescription. And so that's one of the things they're, they're looking at doing. But even then, that's solely for the, you know, to keep the process fair mm-hmm. and also to maybe help protect the players. That, yeah. The health of the players, you know, cause a lot of these kids come from nothing and they see an opportunity to, you know, they have a tournament. I mean, I don't know if you've ever competed. I've competed in several turns myself and it's nerve wracking, man. And, yeah. and I know there are guys out there that haven't gotten any sleep. You know, they'll, they'll take some drugs and I'm, I mean, we're talking oh, about Lord. some hard stuff to stay awake and I'm sure you've seen it, you know, playing, playing professionally. Um, yeah. You know. But, but the key is even if Isik starts testing, for doping in the future, there's an appeals process. And so you can claim like in front of the international Olympic committee, you can claim an authorized use. Um, you can claim that, that it wasn't in your system, that the testing methodology was flawed. Mm-hmm. You can do a variety of these things that we've seen as attorneys and appeals processes that can help. First of all, keep the integrity of the esport there. So guys just aren't getting banned for a one-off test or something mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, but if there was to be doping in the future, I'd rather it be handled by an organization like the Esports Integrity Commission versus maybe a league itself or a publisher right. who doesn't have who doesn't have an appeals process. Right, right. And, you know, it's like the NFL. Um, they have these random drug tests 
but if you have, you know, four different league organizers and, and you're competing in, you know, eight different tournaments hosted by all four, you're going to be dealing because, again, these testing tend to be a little more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, invasive. Uh, they don't want to continue to subject you to a ton of tests, a ton of stuff. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, there may not be any reason to. Right. But uh, and, and that kind of brings up one of the issues addressed by ESIC. So ESIC provides an appeals process. We don't have a single instance of an infraction causing a lifetime ban for players, which is helpful. But one of the reasons why that's important is because now there's some separation between the publishers governing their own esport and the esport themselves. Because mm-hmm. remember, publishers are making games for everyone to play and enjoy. A small subset of that, for the most part, is competitive esports, right? Particularly at the professional level, right? So the people that are playing uh, League of Legends professionally, Valorant professionally, Call of Duty professionally, even if you go, even if you look at game battles, that's such a small subset of the people playing the game that publishers really don't have much time to deal with it. Right. They don't want to devote a ton of resources right. to esports integrity in particular because it's a small subset of the people buying their game. Yeah, yeah. and right? to, to phrase it another way, a lot of these uh, game publishers aren't making money by people competing using their game except with the exception of maybe Call of Duty. Um, maybe yeah their their money comes from microtransactions now right before it used to be $60 games now these games are free and so they would rather spend their time in making the game better creating content for the game for people to purchase and make money versus spending money regulating the players regulating leagues regulating tournaments um, they leave that up to the tournament organizers and the organizations themselves to, to self monitor self regulate yeah so it was, it's important that or we think it's better in our, at the law of esports, <laughs> we think it's a better environment to have a governing body that has standardized rules, mm-hmm. that has an appeals process, that has some form of education on the rules yeah. and, you know, a punishment or infraction framework to have that govern your esport or your tournament versus the publisher. Because a lot of times the publishers have no due process procedure at all. And they don't have to. They own the game. If you breach an end user agreement, you can get a lifetime ban. You can get IP address ban. You can get whatever. Um, and so it's super important that a governing body really handles these things. And, you know, a governing body doesn't have to be a widespread nonprofit mm-hmm. like ESIC. I think if the league is has enough capital mm-hmm. and enough wherewithal mm-hmm. to organize and create a punishment framework or to create um, some standardized rules for third-party interference, match fixing, perhaps doping, um, then that would work as well. Yeah, We just don't see a lot of leagues do that. And part of that's the nature of esports, yeah. right? You have a game that has a lifespan of three, four, five years. In Call of Duty situation, the games have a lifespan of one year, but you have a consistent publisher. So that kind of provides a little right. bit of consistency. And now we have the CDL, which is much more organized. And I think Joanna Ferries is doing a great job yep. running it. But, you know, we have Riot with, you know, they have League of Legends and that's mm-hmm. substantial and, and professionally run. Um, but then you have Valorant coming up, which is brand new. Yeah. Maybe it'll have different rules. Maybe it'll have the same rules. Maybe they're going to join ESIC. Right. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be the Esports Integrity Commission. 
particularly because it's based in London. Um, and Ian Smith, who I think is a very capable lawyer, comes from a cricket background, and they had a lot of international issues. But I think maybe when you get to the United States, yeah, maybe we need a counterpart. Yeah, you know, and that's and and if it hasn't been obvious enough to those that are watching and those that are viewing, ESIC is is not. It, it doesn't govern everything, okay? Again, it's it's a membership-based organization, meaning that it, you, in order for you to participate in a certain tournament or a certain game, you don't have to be a member of ESIC. It's the other way around. You you basically join ESIC, become a member, and then agree to be governed by it, right? And so we, we you know, didn't really give you any specific members, but if you go to their website, you'll see the long list of members, right? One of the biggest ones and one that we talk about often because it involves... Uh, CSGO is the ESL, right? The ESL agreed to become a member of ESIC. Um, there's E-Star Studios, Blast Pro Series, Eaton Sports, LVP or Fanroid, yeah, UCC. DreamHack is a member. DreamHack is a member. I mean, Exceed Me. There's a lot of newer ones like Relog Media, GT Sports Leagues, 24-7 Leagues, uh, the UCC. Uh, I mean, there is so many organizations out there um, that that have agreed to become members and that is why it works. And like you said, there should be a U.S. counterpart in the United States right now. There, there is no organization like ESIC to where it's been generally accepted by American companies, right? Uh, believe it or not, and it's kind of funny. They so so ESIC is divided into several portions, right? They've got the anti-corruption supporters. They have government bodies that are members. They have national federations that are members. They have data partners. They have official par- official partners, and they have tournament operators, right? The ESL is a tournament operator, and they obviously fall under that particular category, but like government bodies, right? ESIC is such a legitimate organization that, again, we discussed the FBI has worked with in order to uh, 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 to discover corrupt. But, I mean, even the Nevada State Gambling Gaming Control Board is a member of ESIC, okay? In case you guys don't know, Las Vegas, it's in Nevada, okay? Yeah. And, and the fact that they have agreed to become members of ESIC just tells you that they see value in being a member of such an organization and assisting them in investigating and then dishing out punishment to violators because again it involves these a lot of these esports involve gambling and so in the United States we either have to create a counterpart right an organization very similar to ESIC to either work in conjunction with ESIC or work under ESIC or simply to have other organizations in the United States agree to become members of ESIC and in our personal experience from what we've seen ESIC tends to work okay from what we've seen co- compared to what it was before and correct me if I'm wrong ESIC has sort of uh, created and, and has done the groundwork and has laid out that 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 necessary foundation to where if a U.S. counterpart wanted to be created it would be easier or if they wanted to join ESIC I think they have an established reputation and have enough members that are well respected in the community to where I don't think there would be any issues having a lot of these U.S. organizations or specific orgs join ESIC. Yeah, and, and we've talked about that in both episode two and episode three, the cheating episode and the gambling episode, where ESIC exercises its muscle, you know, relatively regularly. Mm-hmm. They they banned um, a bunch of the coaches that were using the, the coach exploit in CS:GO. They banned the thirty five Australian players um, for a variety of lengths of time for match fixing. Um, I don't know if they've banned anyone for doping at this point in time, but if they start legitimately testing and, and making that an effort, maybe they will. But they, 
whenever you have a regulatory body, it has to be able to investigate and enforce its rules with consistency, regardless of how much that occurs within a year or two years out from when it's formed. And ESIC in 2016 started and immediately started doing investigations and working with teams and leagues. And I think if you have a U.S. counterpart, first of all, I think it might be kind of necessary. I don't know if ESIC is a particularly great fit for U.S. esports, although I will say that most really, I would say U.S.-based esports, in my opinion, Valorant and Call of Duty, Mm -hmm. they do have an international reach. So, for instance, in the Call of Duty League, you know, you do have the Paris Legion and, uh, you know, the London Royal Ravens and the Toronto Ultra. So you do have international teams. Mm-hmm. But I think if there's some sort of U.S. commission for esports integrity, anti-corruption, whatever you want to call it, uh, I think it could help regulate the U.S. market, particularly with the rise of U.S.-based sports betting. Um, we're seeing that market grow over you know, $20 billion. Um, and that's not including the gray and black markets, right? <laughs> you know, where people are, are trading skins and PayPal codes and things like that. And so, um, so like you said, the Nevada gaming commission is a part of ESIC, but I think as online sports betting grows and it gets to more and more States in the United States, I think it would be maybe better to have a U.S. counterpart that can maybe govern the Valorant League, the Call of Duty League, um, and some other professional esports. Maybe if we ever get a major professionally organized scene in Fortnite, um, but also a rising esports, right? Valorant wasn't even a game two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it didn't even have an esport. And so that just kind of started. And so I think having a, a groundwork for punishment or groundwork for um, infractions and the groundwork of rules and to continue to provide education on those rules will be really important because yeah. you know in the UFC USADA's out there telling people what you can and can't take what to mm-hmm. look for whether it's mm-hmm. for an NSF symbol on supplements or mm-hmm. you know college approved supplements whatever the case mm-hmm. is um, I think in the same way if the league itself doesn't want to pay money for an educational program, because remember, a lot of the esports players out there are young. And I know careers are getting longer and longer, but you have people literally on game battles winning tournaments when they're 16, 17. They turn 18, they're now a professional, and they're open to all these risks mm-hmm. to their career. And so, I think it's it's really important that the league's not going to pay to educate these people on how to protect against outside influences and what rules to watch out for mm-hmm. and rules that could even be easily triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're not if the league's not going to pay to do that, then I think paying into a nonprofit to yeah. be a member yeah. to have them perform that function for your league would be more important. I know we're kind of leaving teams out of this because I guess a team could provide that education, but that doesn't provide the level of consistency to maintain the overall image of integrity that we've been talking about. Right. So I'm sure at, uh, you know, hundred thieves, they've been telling their Valorant team what they can and can't do. Right. Whether it's, you know, um, Hiko 
is he even a member of Hundred Thieves still? I don't know. But when he <laughs> came over from CSGO to Valorant, I'm sure he kind of knew the deal. But any new Valorant um, players, I, I'm sure there was you know Hundred Thieves people telling them what they can and can't do right. in terms of accepting outside money, influence, whatever the right. case is. Right. Or they can't accept sponsors that aren't Hundred Thieves sponsors or whatever. Um, I'm sure Optic Gaming does the same with their young players or their new players. But that doesn't provide the consistency to maintain the overall image of integrity. Because imagine, right. you know, some team who may be going through management changes. Yeah. And you have some new players that might slip through the cracks education wise. Yeah. If that team's not on top of it, then you have some risk of allowing some influence into the sport that you don't want. Right. And so if it's not going to be league wide, if the league isn't going to pay for it, I know the Call of Duty League has league meetings with the players at times, but... um you know, other esports leagues as they pop up, it may be helpful to have some sort of go to commission in the United States yeah, absolutely. if we're not going to use ESIC to, absolutely. to, yeah, to provide that sort of blanket framework just to maintain the whole image of integrity. Yeah. You know, because everyone needs their esport to be trustworthy. Yeah. And if it's not, then you might not have people legally betting on it, you might not have people watching it. You might not have parents allowing their kids to go play it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I, I mean, whenever it comes to enforcing the rules, we both want there to be some sort of clear defined rules, uniformity, uniformity with due process. Yeah. Right. With the, uh, the ability to defend yourself and then appeal that decision. Right. If you believe it was wrong. Yeah. And so is a U.S. counterpart needed? I don't know if a U.S. counterpart's necessarily needed because international leagues that are based in the United States can be members of ESIC or whatever. And we're yeah. certainly not out here shilling or advertising to be members of ESIC. Yeah. Uh, but we are uh, recommending that teams and leagues have some sort of framework. Yeah. Really, leagues in general have some sort of framework for maintaining integrity, keeping out outside influence, having... Yeah, anti-doping rules at least yeah. in place yeah. um, and having some fair process involved to handle those rules and enforce them uh, because right now it doesn't exist. I mean, literally, yeah. I mean, the U.S. doesn't exist at all unless, yeah. you're, unless you're a member of ESIC. And like I said, if <laughs> if you're part of the CDL or you're part of Valorant and you want to call me and help you put together a yeah, nonprofit integrity commission, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, I don't think ESIC is necessarily required, but I do think the principles and the framework they provide is extraordinarily helpful yeah. to esports. And and it's it's a broad based approach, right? Meaning not like the CDL, right? CDL is a Call of Duty league. It's, right. It, it applies specifically to Call of Duty. I'm sure Call of Duty internally has the Call of Duty league has something like ESIC and a, a governing body like ESIC. And I mean, we all know how much these or have an idea how much these organizations are paying. I mean, they're paying millions of dollars to be members of the CDL in order to be able to, to play and compete. Um, I, I'm almost positive that ESIC is a lot cheaper to become a member of it and be governed by it. And I, 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 I personally think that although not necessary, it would make it easier for us, especially us as advisors, right? Us as attorneys, because a lot of these organizations have their team of lawyers that work for them. It's easier for us to be able to to advise our clients on issues whenever there is a general broad-based governing body. One we talked about is like FIFA, right? This would be like a FIFA for esports 
where it's, you know, it's an, it's, it's literally a nonprofit. The sole purpose is governing and they don't have an interest in the outcome of games, tournaments. They're literally, their sole purpose is to maintain integrity well, and protect the process. Yes, but we were talking <laughs> about might before. be a bad example because so of corruption. FIFA, FIFA maybe <laughs> used to be that way, but yeah. I think it's important to, to keep the money outside of membership dues. I think it's important yeah. to keep the money fluctuation, whether the esports popular or not, away from your integrity, right. your your governing body, whatever it is, um, unless it's internal and it's going to make, you know, the whole league is going to make yeah. money. But, uh, but yeah, so FIFA, for instance, gets money from soccer teams, from right. their performance and from the performance of the league in right. general. Right, right, right. And so they definitely... Maybe that some, was a bad example, but... They, they definitely have some corruption issues, but the idea was there. Mm-hmm. And with that idea, I think as long as it's done right, yeah, and I think as long as you have you know people who understand the importance of integrity at the helm of it, mm-hmm. then yeah. I think you're going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. But I, I think one other, um, as we're kind of wrapping up this episode, I think one other thing that would be important would be an appeals process for some of these fines that mm-hmm. are levied out. Um, and one other way that can be helped is with a players union. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, on our next episode episode 5 will be on players unions and we've been mm -hmm. putting off this episode for a little bit because it requires a lot of research it's Um, a very heavy subject Neffy and I have some strong disagreements on it because I'm a team and org guy and he's a player guy I'm a player guy Uh, so we've been discussing it a lot um, both navigating how we want to present the episode but also navigating confidentiality issues with our respective clients yeah and so um so that will be the next episode episode five will be on players unions Mm -hmm. in esports really looking forward to it yeah but in the meantime thank you guys so much for tuning in now you know what esic is yeah so when we say esic's investigating this yeah refer to episode four yeah and if for whatever reason you know you're an organizer or a team owner look into becoming a member Right. It's it's internal investigation and internal enforcement is is important. But we all know that, you know, you're you can find your players, but then that's going to prevent other players are going to be like, oh, these guys are a bunch of narcs. I don't want to join this organization. But if you let a third party do it, it'll make your business uh, and your sport go a lot smoother. So thank you, everybody, for stopping by. Uh, Please drop a like, comment, share on uh, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. We're happy to have you. And as you can tell, we're trying to be more consistent with our episodes. Um, We will see you on the next one. See you guys.